great to see you guys. We have baby Jonah here too. Best night ever. Final epic of 2012. Man, what an amazing year with you guys. I'm so uh, excited for what we're doing here with this uh, particular series. We kind of just weren't sure with it. I mean, how, what a crazy timing last week, a week ago, to talk about God works in mysterious ways, what is God's plan, those things, and then to have a terrible massacre the next day. I thought it was just like kind of crazy because we weren't thinking about, um, you know, going into the will of God, but it seemed very timely, so we, we think that God kind of has his fingerprint on what we're kind of seeking, and the whole root of this entire venture with understanding and seeking the heart of God is to, to kind of turn our minds upside down as far as trying to find out who is God by looking at theology and behaviors and actions and actions of men and, and teachers and pastors and, and, and we try to find everything about God by looking elsewhere except for God. And my heart for this is to get back down to as of, almost as if we just heard about Jesus for the first time. And I just, uh, my, I have a software business and we, we just committed on a lease um, a couple floors up from us. We go in there and, and uh, they haven't put any flooring in there yet. It's just concrete. And we're like, that's cool. We'll, we'll, we'll you know, do our own floors, whatever. And we go up there and the floor is like all these colors, right? It's like, it's weird and you're walking, it's like kind of soft. I was like, oh, it looks kind of cool. And I'm thinking like, that would be a cool texture just to leave there, you know? Well, actually, it is, it's like four decades of glue that people every three years have put down new carpet, and when the next person comes in, they don't scrape up the old glue. They just actually lay new glue on it. And so you're looking at like the, it's like this mosaic. I mean, it kind of looks artistic to me because I can't tell colors very well, but it's really kind of like gross though. You look at there, it's like orange and browns, and there's like weird, there's probably mold in there. It's like, that's a cool black, you know? And... <laughs> But I think that as I've been looking at what God wants to do in, in this, this kind of message about, um, in this series, like, I don't know how long we're gonna go in this, but is that many of us have had years and years and years where we've never actually pulled up the bad glue. We've never actually gone back and cleaned up the surface, maybe from things that were imperfect, maybe things that need to be fully removed, and we've always had a layering on as far as our faith goes about who God is. I can't think of a single time that I've ever encountered in my life prior to probably about a year ago where I actually questioned what I previously believed about God. When we hear people talk, it's like, well, he's got a microphone, he went to some college, he has a steeple over the building. Like, we, we kind of like take what we hear about God, we kind of add it to our pocketbook. We kind of layer it on. And so what I wanted to do when we kind of jumped in this is like say, hey, maybe we all have a whole bunch of things about God that really aren't about God in, in reality and his truth. And that was the first night a few weeks ago but I thought it was necessary to talk about his plan. Like we should, before we can get to God's heart, we probably should decide what is and what isn't God doing. What does the Bible actually say about his involvement with us? What is his plan? What is the will of God? What is free choice? Does God work in mysterious ways or not? Does everything happen for a reason or not? And so once we cleared that out, I feel like we finally can come into a place where we kind of say, God, now, who is your heart? What is your heart? And so I feel like for the first time, like I'm excited for all of us is the first uh, message and look at the heart of God is actually the goal is to get down to that concrete. 
is to rip up things about what we believe because what I've felt is that what we believe about God, whether it's truth or whether it's a lie, it's gonna color every single thing we hear and see and read about God in the Bible and everywhere else. And so I wanna take us there and, and hopefully we can reach there. A lot of the things that I'm gonna talk about tonight, um, I've been influenced by a lot of different people, but there's a particular author, his name's Darren Hufford, and he wrote a book called The God's Honest Truth, and, and I um, have been profoundly impacted. It was the first time I've been offended reading a book, and uh, so if you're offended, don't blame it on me tonight. So, um, <clears throat> we have a problem though, right? We have a problem like the modern Christian kind of culture where where we, we take everything as it is, right? But, and, and we can get truth, but I think a lot of times we get lies, but a lot, a lot of times we don't question those lies, and if we don't question those lies, they become truth. A lie unchallenged becomes truth in our life. We have a lot of lies in our belief system, in our heart about the personality of God, about his involvement in us, about all these different ways that he might interact with us, and, and they will continue to exist as long as we allow them to exist. And we've been comfortable, I believe, with having a God that has a personality disorder. All the things we're gonna talk about, it's, it's gonna be pulling forth the ways that we can contradict the things that we believe. And I believe that we've been lied to about God from each other, from pastors, from teachers. I would, I would gather that I've probably said things that weren't even true. I'm sorry, please forgive me if I have. I'm, I'm still with you guys discovering things. But in the nature of us pursuing wholeness and truth, we need to know that our own hearts lie to us too. That to no fault of somebody else, sometimes how we encounter life, how we respond to circumstances, colors the way we understand God. Now how is that possible? Is I think in the, remember we have like a free world with a free choice and free consequences those, is that we have all cumulatively received this convoluted, mismatched, contradictory understanding of the basics of love. I promised myself, if I ever was gonna be a pastor or teacher, I'm never gonna talk about love. It's like the most overly preached on topic ever. And I am fully convinced it's been preached on wrong for centuries. And, but our, somehow in our understandings of love, relation with each other through others is that we have this idea of love that incorporates manipulation and deceit. It has meanness, anger, judgment, has all these things that aren't God and our understanding and perception of love has been fully corrupted by the world. I'm fully convinced. And what we believe in our heart about love is exactly what we believe about God. If there's one truth I can ever express and deduce, the simplest principle about our faith is what you believe in your life about love is what you believe about God. That's why understanding love is gonna be so strategic for us. Don't, don't get bored out by like, oh, we're gonna talk about love. I promise you, we don't understand love what we think it, we do. And because John 4, 8 says God is love. And so if we have a misrepresentation of love, then we have a misrepresented God. So if we can understand love, then we can understand God. Now here's the thing. It's time for us to put aside those different things we've come tonight with. Maybe the educations, maybe our stories, whatever. It, we will get so much more out of this if we just suspend for a moment and actually look at the simplicity of who God says he is through the scripture. I believe we've tried to deduce him through, I mean, you have books of theology and history, they're crazy, like 100 times the size of the Bible, you know, and they're all trying to find out who is God. And I think I just want to offend our minds to go back to the simplicity of one scripture tonight. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 7, 4 through 7. This is the most 
overquoted passage in the Bible, but it is the most misunderstood passage in the Bible. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, if God is love, we can substitute God in every single one of those areas. We can just recite that, that God is patient, God is kind, God is not envy, and we're gonna go through some of these, but the first one tonight is that God is patient. I believe it's so strategic that that is the first one out of that entire list. Love is patient, God is patient. And when we compare what our hearts believe about patience and then we say God is patient, we come to the realization that we have the wrong idea about God altogether. Our understanding of patience is a misrepresentation of God when we call him that God is patient, when we say love is patient. Some of us will find in what we look at tonight about patience that we don't believe God's patient at all. Maybe some of us are gonna find out that we don't even really like Few even know God. And patience is hard. This is the most revelatory thing for me about patience is that all of us, I'm gonna gather, all of us understand patience as the opposite of something else. When we think about patience, we don't take it at face value. We identify it as the antidote, the opposite of something else. We associate it with these other extremes. For example, wrath or anger or something that patience is this antidote that opposes something else, something much worse, right? You guys with me? And we think anger, wrath, unrestrained, we think rage, we think all these things at the other scale, the other end of patience. Because we don't even think patience could exist if it didn't have something to quench, right? Like why would you need patience, you know, if, if there wasn't all these things? We need to understand that patience, when, when God says I'm patient, that patience exists because it exists. It doesn't have to be the antidote. It doesn't have to be the opposite. We look at patience as, um, you know, people that have patience, like people in general. We look at terrible things they endure. We look at their suffering like, whoa, that guy's really patient, right? You know, we think that, you know, when we get frustrated, we're like, man, I just need more patience. And, and it's always like we, we use it in reference to something really bad. And it reveals that every one of our hearts, we're associating patience as willpower against something that's really negative. It's so funny that tonight that I'm talking about patience, because today I actually lost my patience. <laughs> it was like, I had several witnesses too. It was horrible. Um, but it, it, it was amazing because in that time of like, I was so like frustrated today and it was like all my willpower to like kind of make, pull it together. And it's the exact, like perfect, like for my life, it's like the exact metaphor of how I so misunderstand patience. And for me, patience even today was, it was the resistance of acting negatively. I still acted negatively, not as negatively as I wanted to act, but I still wasn't positive. And, you know, for angry people that are trying to be patient, like, we have these exercises, like, deep breathing, you know, like, and my favorite one is, like, three, two, one, one, two, three, what on earth is bothering me? You know, like, I try to, like, pull myself together. And by this definition, I mean, because we're all making sense, am I making sense? This definition of patience is really putting a plug on a volcano, I mean, when I'm in, I'm there, I'm like, gosh, dang it, like, 
oh, you know, like doing this, and, and you're like, and you're like, oh, patience, patience, patience. <laughs> and it has resulted in us believing that patience is really about holding back anger. That patience is, the only significance, the only reason that patience needs to exist is so that they can withhold anger. And when we say love is patience, our hearts are really believing that love is really angry, but it does a good job of not releasing it. The association teaches us that patience is merely holding back something that we really want to unleash on somebody if there weren't other people around. I tell you, if I was alone when I got angry today, there would probably be a hole in the wall. Like, I probably would have done other things I really wanted to. It's like, there's people in here, you know? <laughs> but that association teaches us that we're not really patient because of itself. It's that we're really withholding something that's really ugly. And when we say God is patient, we're really thinking that God is really angry, but he's really good at being restrained. Patience for us is the name of restraint. It doesn't mean patience of itself. Our twisted world has linked patience with this you know, restraint of wrath, if you will. And so therefore, each time that we hear God is patient, we are again affirming to ourselves the lie that God is really angry. Some other examples of how the idea of patience has been distorted for us. I don't know if you've ever heard like controlling or abusive people. Like controlling people will say this all the time. They'll control you and they will try and, and manipulate the circumstances and they, in explaining their behavior, they'll say, well, I just love you too much. Tell me you've heard that. Amen? Young couples, they will rush into relationships at lightning speed. Hello? <laughs> I did that. And when they are in love, it's like the license to go fast, the license to speed, to go 120 miles an hour in a relationship. And, and they give their impatience is actually a sign that they're in love. Because you wouldn't be impatient if you weren't in love. Because I'm in love, we have to go at this fast, we have to get all excited. I get it, I was there several times. <laughs> and I've learned one thing about that too. <laughs> If you want to ruin a relationship with a friend, you tell them that you think their romantic relationship is going too fast. You will lose friends that are in relationships. If you tell them, you know, I think your relationship is going a little too fast. They will block you on Facebook. They will stop responding to your texts. They won't ever ask you for advice. I'm actually right now living in a current relationship that's really awkward because I shared with somebody, I don't think this relationship is where you're hoping it's gonna be. I think it's should slow down and it's gotten so awkward now. It's like, what was the weather yesterday? Can we talk about that, you know? And it's kind of ruined it. And everyone does this. And but my favorite is the person who, you know, cries to everybody else, oh, you need to slow down your relationship. And then when they get in a relationship, oh, well, you know, well, they go super fast, like, I don't go slow in relationships. Like, I'm really in love. You back off, you know? Every one of us does it. Do you know the average wait time for a couple to have intercourse is less than six weeks? It's crazy fast, right? I learned that the code word for I'm going to soon break up with you was I want to slow down. The worst words you can hear in relationship with somebody that you're dating is for them to tell you they want to slow down. Amen? No one likes to hear that. 
what, what, why, what's wrong, you know? Why would I wanna slow down? This feels so good to go fast. I tell you the truth that every single time I ever heard that, it was a breakup on the way. I've always learned the association that true love is unbridled. It is unfiltered, it's gonna be raw, it's gonna be, if we wanna get married tomorrow, we're gonna get married tomorrow. And in the process that we've learned that if love is not accelerated, then it's dying. But if love is patient, it's the complete opposite. And we've reaffirmed this in our romantic relationships. The funny thing is every single person who told me, I wanna take things slower, suddenly after you know, we break up, they're in a relationship with somebody else in two weeks. Amen? Amen. Some good truth right there, right? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh, most people, they're bouncing from relationship to relationship, why? It's because being with the wrong person for many people is better than being with no person at all. Is love really patient? Do we really believe that love is patient? I don't think so. I wasn't, it's easy for me to say now married, you know, look at these dating couples like, you're going too fast, like shut up. You know, they don't wanna hear it at all. But we've been slowly teaching us that patience and love is not love at all. So how can we actually really understand when we say God is patient, love is patient. We don't buy it one bit. And even how we teach about patience with God is completely wrong. We say, right, God give me more patience. I have been afraid of that prayer for my entire life. <laughs> I, I'm just quoting, I'm not praying right now for God to give me more patience. Why? Because every teaching I have ever heard on how to get patience from God goes something like this. You ask God for patience, he will give you circumstances that will help you learn patience. You with me? Now the everything happens for a reason crowd would say, that tragedy that happened to you, maybe it's because God wanted to teach you patience. And we accept these things. That's just another layer of glue that God wants to teach us patience. And so what I've kind of learned is that I don't want any adversity in my life if I don't have to have any, you know? I'm not gonna ask God to make me humble. I, God, I will humble myself. You don't need to humble me, I promise, you know? I, I can do better, you know? <laughs> I don't dare ask God for patience. I've been fearful of that my entire life. Why? It's because I thought that I need to get patience from God, you know? But the reality is it, is that patience is not something that you learn. It's not something you can be taught. Where do we get this idea that we need to have God give us patience or that we need to learn patience or that we have to receive circumstances that help us learn patience? It makes no sense. Why? Because patience is, a, is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Either if you have the Holy Spirit, you have its fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Galatians 5. If you have the Holy Spirit, which... Right, there's a lot of us that do in here. You already have patience. Now we might do a poor job of revealing what's already inside of us, right? Oh, we can do a terrible job of revealing what's inside. But there's nowhere in scripture that, that actually reveals that you need to earn patience, you can be taught patience, that you need circumstances to develop patience. 
It's nowhere in the Bible. It makes complete, it's, it's nonsense to assume that we could learn patience from pressure or trauma because it wouldn't be a fruit of the Spirit. What is the point having the Holy Spirit if we have to then learn its fruit? Right? Why would we have the Holy Spirit? And it's like, you have the Holy Spirit so you can learn other things that aren't about me. We have the Holy Spirit, we have patience. I think some people have also like identified patience as like supernatural willpower. It's no such thing. There's no such thing as supernatural patience without love. If we love, we have patience. It is what it is. When you love, you have it, and when you don't, you don't have it. You don't think you have patience? Well, then, like, how do you get patience? Big letdown of the, no- of the night, you get patience through love. Big letdown. You already have it. It's one of the factory defaults that comes with Jesus. He's like, I give you all the patience you ever need. It's there. And we need to look no further than just to understand that love is patient. Three words. And impatience is not a sign that love is present, but actually a sign that love is absent. Love is not as action as much as it's kind of more understanding. This is something I'm still trying to, to develop in my own personal life of like, what does this really mean? But I think that so much of love is not a behavior. We get caught up, right? We're like, we need to show love. We need to like prove love. We need it to be documented, very tangible. What are my four steps to loving people, you know? And one of the things I've learned is that so much of, of actual tangible love is understanding. Now, understanding. I'm now a father, right? So forgive me for the horrible things I'm about to say. Because I'm... I have understanding now, okay? <laughs> a few years ago, you'd be in church, right? And you hear a baby like screaming. It's like every Sunday. It's like, oh, where's my duct tape? You know, you're like, <laughs> dear Lord. And I would, it seemed like every flight I'd be on, I'd be in the middle seat with like a screaming child in front and back of me. I, was, I went to South Africa like a couple years ago and literally for like the entire like 10 hour flight, children screaming around me. I'm like, does anybody have a taser? Is the marshal on the flight? You know, like I was just so fed up. I literally was so fed up with screaming children. I was like, I can't have a child. I can't. I have disqualified myself from the thoughts I've thought about ever having a child. <laughs> I'm just admitting what you guys are already thinking. So, <laughs> now, how about this? You work in an emergency room, and in comes busting through the doors, a woman carrying a baby who is screaming its head off because it reached up and pulled a pan of boiling water that boiled all down its front. You're in the emergency room and you are trying to take off the clothes and you reveal it and literally skin is coming off. Are you going to be irritated in the slightest at the screaming? Are you going to be irritated in the least? Are you going to be annoyed? Are you going to be like, where's my duct tape? Let's shut this thing up. No. That's a horrible thing to say. Why? It's because you have understanding. You'd be like, well, I would be screaming too. And I went through like a rough time with, you know, our little girl that did scream all the time. And you know what I would do? I, like I associated my patience with willpower. It'd be three in the morning and we have like this little island in the kitchen and I would recite, love is patient, love is kind. And I'm like marching around this kitchen, like marching for willpower is what I was doing. 
reaffirming that I have no idea what patience really is because patience is about understanding. Now, when I'm on a flight and I hear a screaming child, I feel, I love you. I love you so much. I'll hold them. (laughs) As I have like, understand, it's like, oh, that poor kid. Oh, those poor parents. I mean, I I feel like I could sit next to anybody now with like a screaming child in my ear and not be faced because it's like, been there. (laughs) Totally been there. But when you truly love someone, you have understanding and you see the burned baby and everything. Love looks beyond the flesh and the heart, the actions, and into the heart. People who lack patience are blind to the heart. The truth is, God fully loves and fully understands every single one of you. Sometimes it's hard because we think that we know God, or sorry, we think we know ourselves better than anybody else. You ever have um, difficulty accepting a compliment? And you think, you wouldn't say that if you really knew me. It's the same thing is that we, we think that you don't count because you don't fully understand me. You wouldn't say those things and fully understand me. You, would, you wouldn't do that, but God fully knows us. He knows us better than ourselves. And he affirms his love for us in that. Is that we can rest in his word because we do know that he fully understands us. He fully knows you. You might even be surprised at how pleased God is with your heart. And you don't need to convince them otherwise. You can't convince the creator of the earth, like, well, if you really knew me, you wouldn't say that. It just, it can't happen, right? What about when, when is patience impossible? When is patience impossible? Patience is impossible when with someone you ultimately want them to go to hell. What if you got to heaven? Let's suspend everything we know about Jesus, Bible, everything, right? Just for a moment. Let's say you get to heaven and they're walking around with Jesus as Buddhists, Hindus, the guy at the corner, you know, like the guy that you, you know, were yelling at with like the bullhorn and the sign. What, what feeling and emotion do you have? You see all these people that weren't supposed to be there. I don't know about you, but like for a long time, I think it's like anger. It's like, well, that's, that's kind of, not fair, right? There's something wrong with that. There's a difference between having knowledge about people who know Christ and it's another thing about wanting someone to get what they deserve. Isn't that what it's about? We think, well, I deserve this and they didn't. I got news for you. The whole reason that God sent his son was to keep people from getting what they deserved. There's an entire element to Christianity that I think that wants people to get, again, their punishment. They want them to pay. They want justice. And this is like, given modern Christianity, like this bad rap of that, we're all a very impatient people. And even like when new people come into, you know, the church, like we're, we're here with anybody with where your struggle is at. I don't care where you're at. But there's a lot of places, and I would say every single one of us has either a personal story that we've either encountered or we've witnessed where maybe somebody came into the church, they got saved, but maybe in the process of being saved, like maybe they had a drug addiction, maybe they had a vice, maybe they had same-sex attraction, they did these different things. And so 
when they come into the church body, kind of like this clock starts ticking, right? It's, it's waiting, like, are you done with that? Are you done with that? Are you done with that? There's a reason that people say that Christians shoot their wounded. is because there's this clock that begins to move on people's growth and their victory of their lives, and, they get, and they're expected to instantly be liberated from their vice, from their sin. Heaven forbid anyone continues to struggle and falls back into that sin, right? And if they continue to sin, what happens? The church loses patience with them and ultimately boots them out. Love is patient? There's a popular, I'm sorry, I said the popular thing like the Christians shoot their wounded and essentially it's, it's to cry that none of us have patience. That in, in their shortcomings, we want them, again, to, to make the record right. Well, you don't deserve that. Here, here's something. Promise me that none of you guys would ever, ever, ever debate or discuss somebody going to hell or not. It's not our place. We should, we should never be in the dialogue of speculating any single person about whether or not they go to heaven or to hell. Why? It's because it secretly reveals who we want to keep out of heaven. When you debate about whether someone's going to heaven or hell, you are laying the cards up saying, I want to keep certain people out of heaven. We have this temptation that we need to protect heaven from all the bad people sneaking in. <laughs> you know, like you're, you're in line, right, and someone cuts, like you get angry, you know, like you want to call them out. Like I was at the security line, I was late. Some guy, like I was watching, like there's like this premier little boarding area, and I saw some of their ticket, wasn't one of those premier tickets, you know? <laughs> But don't we have that same mentality about heaven? We kinda need to save heaven from getting all these like fence hoppers in. <laughs> and the point of all of this, the reason I say all this is that God is not impatient with where any of us are at. Saved or not saved, God is not impatient. Whether you are struggling with sin, you're a believer, or whether you have yet to come to a relationship, he is not impatient. He is not tapping his foot waiting for you. He's not getting irritated because irritation implies losing patience. Now, Scarlett, she's almost 14 months. And she's just starting to walk. Now, there's other babies that, you know, we take her like this little playground thing with other moms, and they do like songs and dance and toys and stuff. And there's like nine-month-olds that are like, you know, running around. And here Scarlett is, you know, 13 months, 14 months. She's like kind of unsure. Now, what if I go home and I'm like, Scarlett, 14 months, it's time for you to walk, you know? And there's a period where, like all of a sudden, one week, she decided she wanted to walk. It was great. And then the next week, she decided that she wanted to crawl for like a week and a half. Now, what if I would have said, you're the worst like walker ever and I'm done with you. You guys would all like file cases for me to have my daughter taken away from me. Why? And maybe God looks at us like the same way. It's like, all right, son, it's time to shake that off. And if we don't, we think, oh man, like we blew it. You know, is God gonna give up on us that easily? We'd be the biggest jerks ever if we, if we accepted any one of us to treat little children the way that we expect God to treat us. And when you have patience, you're looking towards the end result with total understanding, even with the sin and struggle. God sees it all. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows the middle. He knows it, everything. But teachers and pastors, and I'm not trying to rail against the church. Hear me out, please. 
But I have been to so many services where a pastor, not here, just for, just for reference, <laughs> other places, where a pastor will pull out a verse that by and of itself sounds like if you don't get right in this area, you're going to hell. They'll pick out one little topic and then they'll rail on that topic. And it can be anything. You, you, can, you can say greed. I'm in business. I, you know, there's profit. You know, like, is that greed? Am I going to hell? Like, there, like, if you were to take the Bible out of context, you could prove almost anything is going to send you to hell. And so what pastors and teachers oftentimes will do is they will pick something out because they want a response. They want people to be convicted, and, and so they'll use that, and they'll draw this conviction out of people to respond out of fear because they fear that God will get impatient with whatever that thing is. The reason they're giving it to you is like they're trying to say, like, God's waiting for you to get right in here. I just don't see it. Because when we look at being sons and daughters, it comes with full understanding that God is not irritating, he's not impatient, He's not withholding anger. I've, I've found in this journey, that particular thing, more Christians. I've had, uh, let me say it this way. I've had more meetings with people about their faith, not about sin, not about a struggle, not about theology, not about history of the Bible, but I messed up, I'm worried I'm gonna lose my salvation. How on earth do we read the Bible and say that God is patient and yet we have people that think that they've lost their salvation because they've struggled? It's like the, the most significant fear. And all of this teaching, it just reaffirms this doctrine and faith-killing theology that God is impatient. And God is infinitely patient. He's infinitely patient with all of us because he is infinitely committed to one of us. It is impossible to be impatient with someone that you have committed all eternity to. Think about it that way. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What does impatience look like with somebody that has pledged all eternity with you? You know when I'm not patient? There's the people I never have to see again. Like, who driving here had like road rage? <laughs> I wasn't asking for hands, but we can talk later now. <laughs> Right, like why is it so easy for us to have road rage? It's because we don't, we're not committed to them, we're not gonna see them again. Right, you're in like the drive-through like, I ordered this without onions, you know, and we will behave so much differently when we know that we are not committed to that person, we're not in a relationship with them. There is no consequence to see them the next day. Love is patient, God is patient, but we understand that God is infinitely committed to us. His patience makes sense. Did you know that Ephesians 1.18 says that you are the reward for Christ? That at the end of all of eternity that Christ gets you? <laughs> Maybe that's why he's concerned. Like he's not concerned about your sin because of salvation. He's, he's kind of concerned about your well-being because you're what he gets. Are you with me? That God doesn't need, I mean we're gonna get into all these other areas of his character. But, but God wants the best for you because you are what he gets. You are the reward. It's like if someone you know, lends their car, their like precious car, there's people here that got sweet cars, it's like borrowing it, like take care of it because you know, I want it back, like I enjoy having it. The Bible actually teaches that we were with Christ 
at the foundations of the world, that we are currently, present tense, seated with him in heavenly places. I don't know how to describe that and understand and teach about that. That's just what the Bible says. But there's something about time that doesn't, that my mind just exploded, sorry. <laughs> it, it's complex, I'll just say it that way. But I think that we've been leased to the world to return back to God, and that's why our sin, our struggle, that God, he wants us to be protected because he gets us. God is infinitely patient because he knows the full story. You ever gone to a movie two times? You know, like I remember going to Jurassic Park like four times. <laughs> it was like the best movie ever. You know, like the raptor scene, they're like in the kitchen, you know. Oh, it's so good. I can like recite every like detail of that movie, the T-Rex, like the, you know, the fogging the, the window, it was so good. I remember the first time I saw that and I was like, what's gonna happen, you know? <laughs> it was so crazy, so intense. But you know, the second time I saw it, I could totally survive it, why? Because I knew it was gonna happen. It's like, oh, he's gonna get out of there, the raptor's gonna hit like that little shiny thing and he's gonna like escape and he's gonna go up the ladder and sneak and he's gonna barely miss. Like I knew it was all coming. And when we understand that God knows the full story, that God isn't worried. God isn't worried about how all this turns out. He's seen the movie. The good guy wins. I'm gonna invite the the band to come up here. Here's the best way that I can describe kind of all this kind of together. I'm gonna tell you a little story. Part of this is true for my life. Imagine you're at home, mom and dad are there. Dad goes off to work, see pops. Mom's like, time to do some chores. Oh, you're like, gosh, son of a, you know. You're like, but I wanna go hang out with my friends, please. You're like, you can go hang out with your friends, but first, I want you to go water the lawn. I don't know, like I grew up having to do things like that. And you go out, you bring out the hose, and you know, go in there, you turn on the hose, and you're like watering the lawn. You set the hose down. Oh, I have to also take out the trash. You go take out the trash. You do like your chore list, right? And then you, you bounce. You like are off with your friends. Like over that. You're having the best time of your life with your friends. You're like getting into mischief, but not too much mischief. You're like, you're like, I'm glad to be away from home. And you get a text message from mom. And it says, you left the hose on. Our entire yard is flooded. The entire house is flooded. And it says, when you get home, your father's gonna have a talk. Now, in between when, like, you'll be like, let's hang out longer, guys, you know, you're like, is there a homeless shelter we can go, like, hang out at and, like, serve? Like, you, you will do untold things to, like, try and, like, I got your text when I was, like, feeding the poor. Like, you, you'll, you'll try and build your case however you can. You will delay on end. You are probably so scared you won't even reply. You won't even like reply to mom. You're just like, I'm just, what do you do? You, you can't, you're busted. And so you delay, why? Because you are trying to escape 
facing the consequences. You're trying to escape reliving the dumb thing you did. You're trying to escape letting your parents down. You are trying to escape the damage and the cost of your mistake. And so the longer you wait, the more you're like, well maybe they won't be as angry if I wait like another two hours. Maybe they'll forget. What can I do in the meantime to make myself look good? You know, so the next time it'll be fine. And so you want it to go all the way. You're like, you don't even want to talk about it. Maybe that's how we feel about towards God. As we feel like in life, we kind of went on and we left the hose on. And, and bad things happen. And we don't want to return to God because it's going to remind us and have us relive our decisions and relive our failures and be able to face those that we've disappointed and be able to face the consequences and, and look at it and be totally bummed out and encounter the wrath, right? I mean, you're thinking like, what privileges are going to be taken away? How long am I going to be punished? We think of punishment, we think of these things. Now, imagine you walk in the door, you pull up, you like creak in, like you're like, I just wanna like sneak away, I don't wanna be found, I wanna crawl in a hole and die. And your mom and dad are there, and they have dinner there. Your favorite meal, they say, come on in, sit down. Mom is like, gives you a big hug, kiss on the cheek, puts a big thing of potato salad on your plate, and you know, dad pours you some water. <laughs> and it dad's like, how's your time with your friends? You're like, it was fine. Yeah. And you're like, is this a trick? Is this just like setting me up? And they're happy, they're laughing, and, and you're like, and you, you, like you, may, you may go on for like a few minutes of that, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can't take it any longer. Like, what about the basement? What about the disaster? And it has like, a funny thing. While you're gone, there's this contractor that came by. He had all the materials. He had like all the electrical. He like tore out the flooring. He did the new drywall. He did the He did everything. Can you believe it? All for free. I think his name was Jesus. Isn't that the story of God? It's sometimes the fear of facing those who we've disappointed is so much greater than the consequence of not coming back. Because God wants to say in the same analogies, like, I don't care about the basement. I don't care about the lawn. I care about my son. A father's heart is gonna say, no matter what you did the house, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That contractor, he makes the round the block every day just to make sure our house is in order. And he's like, I don't want anything to keep my relationship from you. And he's like, why would you think I'm angry? I'm patient with you. My patience doesn't run out on you. I'm not, I'm not gonna punish you. I'm not gonna rub it in your nose. I'm not gonna do any of those things. I just wanna be connected with you. When we say God is patient, what we really need to understand is that, have it say that God is not angry. 
Really that verse needs to say, God is not counting. God is not remembering. God is not plotting. God is not judging. God is not tapping. He's not looking at his watch. He's patient because he's patient. He sees us for who we really are. He sees the burned baby in everything that we do, fully understanding, I know why you did what you did. I'm not irritated. I just want to have a relationship with you. I just want to be reconciled. I want to hear about your day. There's nothing that we could ever do with God that he would ever want to suspend relationship with us. Love is patient. God is patient. Maybe for some of you, maybe we've been like wandering the streets with our friends. Maybe we're trying to figure out how to make our behavior make us look good before we face a fear of coming back to God. If you are any place in your heart tonight that you're fearing that God is gonna come back and tell you that you messed up, that I've been expecting this, or it's time for you to get what you deserve, it's time for us to really understand the heart of God, that God's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Because if we believe the word, it says that for God's own sake, he remembers our sin no more. For our own sake, for us. I never knew that part. For our own sake. I was like, well, who cares about for our own sake? For our own sake because we know that the fear of coming back to God with our shame would keep us from coming back to God. So he says, for my own sake, when you come to me, I don't know what you're talking about. So we can come to him at all times and say, Dad, I want to be with you. I love you. And God will say, I'm proud of you. As we worship tonight, We're gonna have our prayer people here and these people hear from God. Maybe if you'd never encountered someone that was able to accurately shape what God thinks about you, for you, maybe you should come up. There's a beautiful thing where as we look at the Holy Spirit in our lives that we actually have a direct connection with God. I call it the red phone. Like the president's got like the red phone. Every single one of us has a red phone. But if our phone service isn't hooked up, we're not gonna be able to hear what's on the other side of the line. You can have the Holy Spirit, but not have your phone hooked up. (laughs) And we have people that have lots of extra cell phone minutes up here for you. And a lot of people who also can hook up your phone too. So we're gonna worship and wherever you guys are at in this, that's totally cool. But what I want us to do is, this is just one little nugget. There are so many other areas where if we don't get how God is currently looking at us, we're gonna miss everything about religion. Religion's empty and void. We're gonna miss it all if we keep on believing these lies. Love you guys.